The following podcast is presented by the Women in Comedy Festival as part of the WICF Podcast Network. Check us out at WICF.com slash podcast. This is Adapted with Anna and Sam. We love books and we love movies. Warning, here be spoilers. with Anna and Sam. I'm Anna. And I'm Sam. In this podcast, we talk about a book, we talk about a movie or a TV show based on that book, we play some fun games, and we encourage you to read and watch along with us. Tonight, we are talking about Starship Troopers by Robert Heinlein and the film based on the book. Or is it? Oh! Oh! That's a very clever take. Thank you. Thank you very much. (laughs) What is your quick take, Anna? Uh, that this is probably Jake Busey's finest work. <laughs> oh my god, his teeth are front and center every time. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I am so excited about my six degrees. Yeah? Alright, it lay it on me. might be the best six degrees ever. Nice. There's a little something for everyone. You ready? I'm so ready. So, last episode was, of course, Rebecca. Mm-hmm. So, I started with Charles Dance, who was in one of the greatest movies of all time, The Golden Child, with I Randall Pex Cobb. I knew you were going to start Yes, that. but just wait. So, he's <laughs> in Golden Child with Randall Tex Cobb, who was in Raising Arizona with Nicolas Cage. Nice. Who is in The Rock with Sean Connery, who is in Highlander with Clancy <laughs> Brown. <laughs> Who is in Starship Troopers. So Very a bad nice. movie for me, a bad movie for you. <laughs> I threw in Raising Arizona and The Rock. What's not to like? Very nice. Yep. Very nice. Yeah. It is It is the greatest moment of my career thus far. <laughs> you should really frame that one and put it on the wall. Oh. I'm gonna I'm gonna write up the six degrees in calligraphy. <laughs> it's gonna be amazing. I framed it and put it on the wall. <laughs> What's your six degrees, Sam? So, um, mine doesn't necessarily have something for everyone, but it, it it's typical of me. <laughs> okay. Um, so I started with Jonathan Cake, who was uh, uh, Favel in the miniseries version yes. of uh, Rebecca. He was in First Night with Liam Cunningham, <laughs> the Onion Knight, who I adore. First Night. Okay. Yep. Sean Connery. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Also there. Um, Liam, C- Liam Cunningham was in A Little Princess with Arthur Mallett. Uh, Arthur Mallett was in Mary Poppins with Ed Wynn. Uh, Ed Wynn was in Cinderfella with Judith Anderson, who was Mrs. Danvers in the 1940 version of Rebecca. Uh, Judith Anderson was in Star Trek Three: The Search for Spock with Scott McBinnis, and Scott McGinnick was in Thunder Alley with Clancy Brown. I don't want to criticize, but how many degrees is that? That's six. Really? Yeah. I felt like more than that. No. One, two, three, four, five, six. Oh. All right. Well done. Thank you very much. And you managed to get both uh, Rebecca's in there. I did. You should be very proud. Thank you very much. You should frame that one. Uh, no. Yeah, no. No, it's not my best work. (laughs) Mine was frameable. Yours was just like, email it to your mom. Yeah. That's the kind of proud yeah, exactly. Be like, look, mom, look what I did. <laughs> oh man. So, would you like to give us your book report, Anna? Um, yes. Sorry, I just I looked at my notes and I was like, what do you mean? I thought you were doing the book report. No, oh I, my did God. I did. I did not prepare for that. I did actually write that. <laughs> One of these days, that's gonna happen. It really is. It's gonna be bad. So. Starship Troopers by Robert A. Heinlein was first published as a two-part series by the Magazine of Fantasy and Science Fiction in 1959. It won the Hugo Award for Best Novel in 1960. The novel is told in the first person by Juan Johnny Rico, a grunt in the mobile infantry fighting on behalf of a future Earth government called the Terran Federation. As the novel begins, Johnny is aboard the spaceship the Roger Young, about to drop into hostile territory with the rest of his platoon. He describes the experience of being shot out of the ship in a one-man capsule and landing in a full armored power suit to shock and awe the enemy troops. Uh, Just note, I would not sign up for this. This is not something that interests me. 
so i mean maybe we should preface this entire episode with neither sam or i have ever been in the military nor were we ever going to no, join no. any branch no no offense i have many lovely people in my life who have mm-hmm. been or and i highly admire everyone who you know does sign it doesn't up, it doesn't suit everyone it does not sam we're not joiners no we're not <laughs> <laughs> But also, even if you weren't in the military, getting strapped into one of these pods and dropped at high velocity out of orbit does sound awful. Yeah, I'm not going to do that. No. So after a sweep of destruction, he and the rest of his platoon, at least those that survive, rendezvous with a return ship and the engagement is over. Johnny joined the military almost by accident. He comes from a wealthy family and his parents intend for him to go to college and then take over the family firm. But as he approaches the end of high school, Johnny isn't sure if that's what he wants. And so when two of his friends, Carl and Carmen, go to sign up once they have turned 18, Johnny goes along with them. He has given multiple opportunities to turn back, and it's made clear that he will suffer no consequences if he does. But he somehow never takes them for reasons he is not sure of himself. He's not clever enough for military intelligence or fast enough to be a pilot. Apparently, women have better reflexes and make better pilots. Thanks, Heinlein. I'm not really sure that's a good thing. Yeah, it's uh, eh. it's 1959. Oh, and he doesn't like dogs enough to be in the canine unit, so Johnny is assigned to the mobile infantry. Johnny goes to boot camp where he is drilled, hammered, and molded within an inch of his life by Sergeant Zim and the other instructors. The work is hard, grueling, and again, Johnny and the other recruits are constantly reminded that no one will force them to stay. There is no court-martial awaiting them if they ask to resign, not even if they walk off the camp without notice and never return. However, if they go AWOL, they will never get another chance to serve, and in this future Earth, the only path to being a full citizen with full rights is to serve at least two years in the military. While in training, Johnny witnesses a man flogged, receives a flogging himself, sees recruits injured and even killed during the harsh trainings. He nearly quits, but at his lowest point, when he has decided that as soon as he sees Sergeant Jim again, Sergeant Zim again, he will tell him he's out, he receives an unexpected letter from Mr. Dubois, his high school teacher uh, of a class called History and Moral Philosophy. It turns out Mr. Dubois also happens to be a retired lieutenant colonel and a legend in the mobile infantry, although Johnny did not know this. Uh, while he was in Mr. Dubois' classroom. Several times throughout the book, we return in flashbacks to Mr. Dubois' classrooms and get some philosophy lessons from Heinlein, including why it's necessary to spank your children, and of course, why the best form of government is one where the only citizens are veterans. Oy. Yeah, the um, corporal punishment thing was a little... Yeah, there was a, there was a number of philosophical... Um... Tangents? Tangents that I didn't necessarily fully agree with his point. Took me out of it a little bit. And it was also like, you know, this is Johnny, like, remembering, oh, back when I was in school. I'm like, you're remembering every single word of your teacher's argument. (laughs) It's like like three pages long. Sure. very good with your memory. Excellent shorthand (laughs) in the 28th century. So eventually Johnny graduates from boot camp. He is one of only a few hundred to make it all the way through of the thousand recruits that started. While he was in training, the Terran Federation has gone to war against the Arachnids, a mysterious hive mind race fighting for territory and control of the galaxy against the Terrans and their allies. The action against these so-called bugs has turned into an all-out war after an attack that leveled Buenos Aires. Johnny's plans for two years of peacetime service are out the window. It is only later that he learns the personal impact of that attack. His parents happened to be in Buenos Aires that day and were killed. Johnny is assigned a platoon and joins the fight in time to be a part of the disastrous attack on the bug's home planet, Clendathu. His team is decimated so badly in the ensuing battle that they are disbanded. The, the few survivors are sent to join other outfits, and he joins up with Razchek's Roughnecks. Would you say that Razchek? Um, I'm not really sure, but that's how they pronounce it in the movie, so that's what I'm going Let's go with Razchek. Yeah. And now we're back to where Johnny was at the start of the book. Again, for reasons Johnny can't articulate, he decides to go career and attend officer training. As he is leaving behind the Roger Young and the Roughnecks, he is surprised to meet face-to-face with his father. Unbeknownst to him, only his mother died in Buenos Aires. 
After her death, Rico Sr. followed his son and went to boot camp, joining MI and eventually being assigned to the Roughnecks. The reunion is happy but short-lived, and Johnny starts his officer training, hoping to live to see his father again. He manages to struggle through until he is deployed as a junior officer in training, a kind of residency program for military uh, officers to determine <laughs> if they have what it takes. He is made a lowly third lieutenant in Blackie's Blackguards, 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 and takes part in the battle for Planet P, an ill-fated mission to seize a brain bug. Everything goes wrong, and after a mad ambush, Johnny and some of his squad go into an active bug hole on a rescue mission. They manage to save the true hero of the attack, the platoon sergeant, who does manage to capture a brain bug, and who it is revealed, spoiler, 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 <laughs> was in fact Sergeant Zim, Aww. who had been his uh, instructor at boot camp. At the end of the book, Rico is a lieutenant in command of his own outfit, outfit Rico's Roughnecks. What? And his platoon sergeant is his daddy. Aww. And they're one being happy fascist family. Oh, fascism. So that's the book. It, it is was... a very short novel, but the philosophical possessions really were a slog to get it through. It took me a lot longer to read this one than I thought it would. Yeah. Um, so my dad's a big sci-fi buff sci-fi fan whatever and growing up i read a lot of um i actually read a lot of robert heinlein because mm -hmm. he was really excited to share it with me and a lot of heinlein's other books are are, are juvenile like he was writing for young audiences yeah. so pod Kane of mars and um some of those other ones there i mean they're really fast reads they're short they're sweet yeah i read the puppet masters and it was like i flew through yeah it. but this one there was a lot of ah oh, just and here's three pages about why we need corporal punishment and why juvenile delinquency brought down 20th yes. century Western civilization. <laughs> and I'm like, are there even that many hippies in 1959? Like, I you so. need to brace yourself, Heinlein. Yeah, it's like, I think one of the first things I said to Anna is, we cannot let the right wing people read this book now because they would just have, like, they would go to town. I also just... It really, so much of this book, there's this assumption of moral superiority. Yes. Like, the way that it describes the Roughnecks, um, uh, Rajchek is their father, and Sergeant Jalal is their mother, and they are tough but loving parents, and it's this whole concept of the military is your family to a degree that is... I find unrealistic. Yeah, well, I mean, to to from what I've heard from people who have been in the military, like the military is their unit is their family, but I don't think it's necessarily to the degree that Heinlein everyone is given preaches to. All of these officers are so altruistic. Yes. They're all, you know, it's um, all for the greater good. Yeah, the, the whole episode good. where there's another recruit who he punches a superior officer and he ends up getting mm -hmm. uh, court-martialed, flogged, and dishonorably discharged and rico happens to overhear a conversation between zim and the i forget if he's a captain but the uh, yes captain yeah the the officer above him and how they're both like this is our fault we let him down because we should never even let it get to that yep. point and i wish i could take this flogging for him mm -hmm. it's like that's yeah so it's like it's like the novel truly is like a form of fascism it's like it's all for a larger purpose it's the greater good the greater good there's no <laughs> there's no individual pride yeah and there's very little individual thought, thought i yeah. mean and again this is one of the reasons like i took a personality test recently and one of the results was like here's some career advice and it's like good career path for you bad career path for you <laughs> And one of the bad career paths was like, hey, don't join the military. And I was like, I mean, I wasn't planning on it, but, like, that's good to have. Like, thanks for reinforcing Reinforced, yeah. yeah. I, I am the kind of person who questions. I'm the kind of person who wants to know why. Yes. And I think one of the reasons why Johnny Rico does excel is because he doesn't question. No, and he, like, and his um, Dubois actually says it a couple of times, like, Johnny quotes the exact book answer to a number of questions. And Dubois doesn't actually think that's the right thing to do, but then he just kind of goes on and espouses uh, further explanation as to why the book answer is right. Right. 
And so, but Johnny remembers that. So he's going to be able to parrot it back. It's, it's just a, it's just a mindset that I, does not align with my own worldview. Yes, no. And. Yeah, I remember reading the book because I, because I had, hadn't read the book before we started, decided to do this episode. So I had only ever seen the movie. Mm -hmm. And so when I read the book, I was like. Did they read the same book that I did when they made this movie? Oh, that's, that is an a- actually an excellent segue. Right? Because they there are some big differences. <laughs> Sam, would you like to talk about that? I would love to. Thank you. Um, so Starship Troopers was released in 1997 to not-so-critical acclaim. It was scripted by Ed Neumeyer and Paul Verhoeven, the duo behind RoboCop and Total Recall, as well as a number of other movies. Um, and the script was originally not related to Starship Troopers at all. Uh, it was originally called Bug Hunt at Outpost 9. And when the similarities to Starship Troopers were pointed out, that's when the novel was licensed and the details from the novel were kind of shoehorned into the script. And didn't the... Okay, well, you're probably going to say this. Yeah. Um, Verhoeven apparently didn't even finish reading the book. He thought it was boring. He thought yeah. it was boring, so he made his he screenwriter got to tell him the synopsis. Philosophical moral yeah. history he got, class like, and cha- was like, chapter two and was like, Yeah, exactly. Um, but there have been four sequels, two live action and two animated, plus an animated cartoon that lasted for one season. I do not remember an animated cartoon. Yeah, wow. It was okay. it was in nineteen ninety nine, I think they said. Okay. Yeah. Didn't do so well. No. And but Clancy Brown was the voice, so it was funny. Um, the cast includes Casper Van Dien as Johnny Rico. Johnny Rico. Right. Neil Patrick Harris, or NPH, as Creepy AF Carl. That's <laughs> not actually his name, but that is his name. That's his name. That's his name. Uh, Denise Richards is Carmen Ibanez, though they say Ibanez. They don't actually. Well, because give it the, she she's and Richards, no one yeah. else around her are actually no, they're Spanish speaking. Yeah. Uh, Dina Meyer is Dizzy Flores. My man Clancy Brown is Sergeant Zim. Woot woot. Woot woot. And of course, Michael Ironside is Lieutenant Ratchet, who is actually a mashup of Ratchet plus Dubois. Yeah, that was interesting. And I almost wonder if it takes some of the power away of the reveal of who Zim is. Th- yeah. That we already had someone else from him. Yeah, I think so. And honestly, the reveal of Zim at the end didn't nearly have the same, the same power because there's that whole scene with the brain bug anyways. Yeah, if... In the book, because he's, we spent some time with the sergeant before we find out his name. Yeah, that that allows us to. It, it's 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 a much more impactful right. exactly reveal than in the movie. Yeah. Spoiler, um, spoiler, spoiler. But yeah, this <laughs> entire thing is just going to be spoilers. Though I do recommend you at least see the movie. It is entertaining because it's very entertaining. But it's if you're like a big fan of the book, you're not necessarily going to no, enjoy like the, the movie. Yeah, no. And if um, you're a big fan of the movie, you might have a lot of problems with the book. Exactly, <laughs> um, because as with most of Verhoeven's other work, this movie is meant to be an in-your-face satire. Um, but unfortunately, the message may have actually been missed by any number of viewers. Mm-hmm. Um, and the message is: war makes fascists of us all. He states this in the DVD commentary, so I'm not reading too much into it. Okay, I was going to say, I'm like, wow, is that really what he meant, Sam? Yeah, no, that's... That's a direct quote. That's a direct quote. We actually open with a nice propaganda movie reel from the Federal Service about how the war against the bugs is going, and of course, the happy on-site reporter bites it when a bug devours him. (laughs) That was a pretty disturbing opening scene. Yeah, it was. Um, You know, this is kind of emphasizing that the violence by the bugs is the highest it's ever been. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, in the movie, the bugs, the reason they're going to war against the bugs is basically asteroids from the bugs planet is coming into the... Yeah, they're sending asteroids to yeah, Earth. Yeah, they're sending asteroids to Earth and destroying things. Right. And so, but they're not actually, like, colon- like trying to colonize anything yet. Yeah, they in the book, and in the book he talks, I can't remember now if it's Dubois or if it's one of the teachers in his um, officer training courses, he's talking about, like, the moral cause for war Mm -hmm. that's like if we don't establish dominance then they'll establish dominance over us right and that's very much the point that verhoeven is making in this movie it's like yeah there's a they're just sending asteroid at us so we have to take them down now yeah we can't let it go any further um there are actually a number of propaganda movie reels throughout the film 
which Verhoeven mo- modeled after U.S. and Nazi films and wartime newsreels from World War II. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, I think they're called Why We Fight, which is the Nazi one, right? Nope. The Why We Fight is the U.S. one. Triumph of the Will is the Nazi one. Ah, uh, yeah. Everyone's heard of yeah. Triumph of the Will. Yep. Yeah, so it, that's mm-hmm. that was a big, big model. Um, the costumes are modeled after Nazi uniforms, especially the SS uniforms. I was going to say, and at the end, like, oh um, my God. when we Creepy see the, mil- Carl, the military man. intelligence, I mean, they are straight up in SS uniforms. Yeah. Yep. Um, and just a quick note, though, <laughs> this really kind of took me out of it, rewatching it. The soundtrack mm-hmm. to this movie is pure 90s nostalgia. I was like, this movie clearly is dated. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> you Oh, the dresses and the, the prom scene? Oh, man. Ugh. Like, after the whole propaganda thing, the movie starts out with Johnny and Carmen and Dizzy and creepy AF Carl in high school finishing up. And, like, there's the typical football scene. There's the prom scene. And you're like, where did this come from? (laughs) This is clearly not in the book. Um, So it's funny. And this is where we meet. um, I'm pretty sure he's a new character, but Xander played by Patrick Patrick Muldoon. Muldoon. And his terrible terrible hair his hair is so oh my god distractingly bad oh it's just like every time i see him i'm like who just no stop just stop. yeah i want to i want to like with a razor just yeah. like just <clears throat> yeah it's the, yep it is jake Busey's hair is better it is that's that's how bad patrick Muldoon's hair is it's so true so like patrick Muldoon's hair is distracting jake Busey's teeth are distracting Creepy AF Carl is distracting just because he's creepy AF. Um, Denise Richards is distracting because she's Denise Richards. Mm -hmm. Honestly, like, Casper Van Dien and Dina Meyer were my favorites, like, of the, like, the core group. Because they weren't quite so bad as the rest of them. It's not... This is actually something we talked about after we watched the movie. Like, is the cast bad on purpose no in my well not <clears throat> not Denise maybe Richards. they didn't intend to be bad on purpose <laughs> but did the creators of the film cast kind of i don't know I these wafer thin yeah, i couldn't find anything about his casting thoughts when i did my research on this um i mean but his goal of the movie was to kind of show the effects of fascism sure so i just want to basically quote everything from wikipedia because (laughs) it's amazing and they said everything better than i possibly could about this movie okay um but uh verhoeven says his satirical use of irony and hyperbole is playing with fascism or fascist imagery to point out certain aspects of american society of course the movie is all about let's go to war and let's all die Mm mm-hmm and that's true. And, and they die in some really gruesome ways. They There's really do. a lot of really very beautiful people being ripped to pieces. It's so true. I mean, Patrick Muldoon gets his brain sucked oh, out. Oh, it's so disturbing. I feel really bad for the brain bug because I'm not sure he got a lot. Yeah, well, that's why he immediately went for De- Denise Richards. And he wasn't going to fill him you up have on to be that desperate. either. Yeah. yeah. Um, again, soldiers died in training. Yep. Um, so that was still there. Mm-hmm. The weaponry sucked. Yeah, I, I don't understand. That like, bothered me a lot. They could not kill any bugs with their weapons. How they kept running out of bullets and the 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 weaponry was so ill-equipped yeah. for the enemy they were facing. Yeah. that bothered me a lot. And in in the book, what I would like for all the the re, for all the things that I did disagree with, um, you know, Highland made a point to being like they were given the weapons that they needed to do the job. Yeah, they didn't have the power suits in the movie. No, they didn't have the power suits. They didn't have the capsules. The ships weren't nearly as robust and advanced as I thought they were. Um, And I have to wonder if that's because it wasn't necessarily a script based on the book. (laughs) And so because... It's possible. Well, also, I mean, could the technology... What would the budget have been to have them all in power suits? Right. That would have changed so much much. of what they were doing. Exactly. Um, And so it was just like there, there are little things like that where it's like once you kind of realize oh wait this isn't necessarily based on the book it makes so much more sense yeah as to like he basically was just taking the character names and some of the high level things to be like i want to make a movie that shows fascism is bad 
Yeah, and yeah, there's like a few plot points that kind of line up. Right, but not much. And it's interesting, you know, reading the book and, and then wa- rewatching the movie, you know, you have it's like you have to wonder did the did the director and writer not get the book? Like, there's definitely adaptations like that where someone clear. I just read an article recently talking about um, the Watchmen. Mm-hmm. Oh, like I read super, that thing. Yeah, yeah, on the AV Club. Yep, super loyal adaptation that completely misses the, the point, point of the original. Yes, and I don't think it's that. Uh, Van Vanderhoeven. Van Ho- Van- Verhoeven. Verhoeven, thank you. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's that Verhoeven missed the point so much as he didn't want the point. No, he wanted to make his own movie. He wanted, and he was just, he's like, Ed, write me the script. <laughs> Maybe use this book because they told me the script is close Yeah, he, he started the book and he said, no, that's not the story I want to tell. Yeah. And I'm not going to tell it that yeah. way. And so there's huge things, as much as I disagree with some of the philosophy in the book, yeah. there's huge things that get missed, and it's like, it was a conscious choice, Yeah. but it's also, so I actually wrote this one down because it's it summarizes it for me. In the book, the, um, kind of the, one of the rallying cries, the mottos of, the, of MI, of mobile infantry, is everybody fights, everybody works. Mm-hmm. And they changed it for the movie, and they say... Everybody fights, nobody quits. Yep. And that's actually really different. It is very different. Because one of the things they talk about a lot in the book is that you are there by choice. Mm -hmm. So many times, and I think this is, um, it's interesting that Heinlein played with this because he's trying to make the point, I think, that there is something noble about sacrificing. It's actually a little reverse psychology. Yes. But it's like you're not forced to. No one's. No one's going to make you. In fact, they're going to actively discourage you from doing this. Because mm-hmm. if you aren't strong enough, you shouldn't right. try. Exactly. The whole point of, of training is to, to weed out those who aren't strong enough. Which they do. I mean, they mm-hmm. they cull the shaft. That's not the That's, phrase. No. <laughs> they strip the sh- They sh- What do they do? With wheat. Know. It's the thing that farmers do. Yeah. It's Yeah. They're like removing... I, like, I said it earlier. Removing the chaff or something. I know. Like you said it earlier tonight. Why can't... <laughs> They cull the herd. That's good. And enough. they also do the thing with wheat. Yes. Uh, and the idea that everybody fights, everybody works. And one of the things that in Starship Troopers that they do is that, sorry, in the book that they do, I'm pointing to the book right now, which is not helpful. <laughs> it's a podcast, Anna. In the book, um, everyone in in the MI from the lieutenant down, the the cook, the chaplain, mm-hmm. everyone, they all have jobs. They fight. Mm-hmm. So if you have a if you have a job in between um, engagements, you're doing it when you're not fighting, but everyone Everybody is on fights. the ground fighting, yep. risking their life. Exactly. And the fact that in the movie, it's nobody quits. Right. And it's like they actually um, the scene where Rico almost quits in the movie. It's a much bigger deal in that it's this whole walk. So Rico's packed up all his stuff. He's got his bag, he's in his civilian clothes, and he's headed towards this giant exit that is like, you're basically quitting. Nice symbol. Nice, yeah, it's like this whole big white door, and it's like, you're clearly exiting the building, even though it's an outside it's, yeah. outside venue. But And everybody can see you. Mm-hmm. So it's basically, you are being shamed for quitting. It's much more like what our actual military is like. Right, and so it's like, it is, it's a very different phrasing and like the only reason why rico actually stays is because of the attack on buenos aires and is both his parents his parents being killed being killed yeah which in the movie they both die and we never both, have that... no warm and fuzzy reconnection between rico and his father <sighs> so in the in the movie the relationship with his parents isn't as antagonistic like his father at the beginning is kind of like why are you doing this? But then after, like, he talks to them, they're, like, they're much more supportive yeah. in the movie than they are in the book. It's more extremes. Yeah, it's definitely much more extremes. And um, they're Argentinian in the movie rather than Filipino. Right. They actually live in Buenos Aires. I say Argentinian in quotes because they're clearly not Argentinian. No. Uh, it's... But that's another story. Oh, yeah. I mean, the it's the weird, like, we they do have people of color but none of the leads no. are yeah. and people who are clearly supposed to be other races in the book right are whitewashed right. in the movie yep and i think one of the biggest changes in the movie is both P- 
pilots and mobile infantry are now mixed gender. Yeah. So it's the mobile infantry in the book is all men. Women are not allowed to serve in the mobile infantry. They, it's just not possible. And Rico spends pages talking about how seeing a woman is a way to get the morale up. And so um, all the pilots are women because they're better reflexes. They're just better at it. And so, um, you know, the Navy pilots pilot the ships that the mobile infantry is on. And it's always like kind of a big deal when they, they can, get to interact. They can interact. Um, and so that that whole aspect is completely gone from the movie. Um, everybody's mixed. I didn't. I didn't miss it. I did, I did not, not miss that it. at all. No, it, it was that one of those backhanded sexist yep. compliments. Like, yes. oh well, women can do this thing. Yeah. No, it's like, oh, thanks for that. It's like a pat on the head. Basically. <sighs> um, on the other hand, would you, would you do co-ed showers? No. So. I wouldn't even do, sh- I don't like to do showers that are just women, so that's just me. <laughs> Fair enough. Public showers in general, not a big fan. Not a big Fair fan. Fair um, So yeah, so and then there's a public shower scene, and one of the fun trivia I read was that the cast would only agree to do that scene all fully nude is if Verhoeven was also naked, which he did. So I was like, okay. All right then. Okay. How very... Nice. European of him. Very much so. <laughs> um, Lack of body shame. That's not American. Not at all. <laughs> um, and so, you know, I think that's a that's couple of the bigger things. And then um, we get to see a brain bug. Mm-hmm. We don't actually really get to interact with a brain bug in the book because that was all happening kind of off screen from Rico. Um the brain bug is very interesting looking. Uh-huh. It's got a butt oh. for a face. A butthole for a face. It is vile. Um I don't wanna I don't wanna go into too much detail because I feel like everyone should experience it. It's really disgusting. It's so disgusting. Yeah. yeah. We'll just leave it at that. Yeah, exactly. Um It is bulbous. Very bulbous. The brain bug makes Job of the Hut look agile. Yes. Oh my god, yes. <laughs> That is that is so true. Um, another element they added to the movie is uh, psychicness. Uh, yeah. Well, in the book, they use hypnosis, hypnosis a lot. Hypnosis. So, like, they embed orders and tactics in using hypnosis, but in the movie, it's full-on ESP. Yeah. Like, creepy AF Carl is telling his ferret to go bother his mom. Using the power of his mind. Uh-huh. And he spends, like, a good portion of time testing Johnny, being like, Johnny, what's this card? Johnny gets it wrong every time. Yeah. But it's... then at the end, Rico's like, no, Carmen's this way. Finds Carmen. And, and then it in his mind. And then at the end, Carl, you sent that thought to me, didn't you? And Carl's like, I don't know what you're talking about. But yes, I did. It's a really good Neil Patrick Harris impression. Thank you. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Um, and the best part of Creepy AF Carl is he's Creepy AF throughout the whole movie, mm-hmm. but then he comes out in full-on SS like, jacket regalia. regalia. Like, yeah. it is clear what he's meant to stand for. Yeah. And you're like, oh, okay. Okay, then. You are not someone that I want to be friends with. <laughs> In the book, he just dies. In the, yeah, exactly. He just dies. <laughs> it's so much easier. So he much easier. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I enjoyed the movie, and I think I enjoyed it more watching it as an older person, like, knowing more about the history of it, and so, but it's not my top ten. No. What's interesting is the first time I saw the movie, I think it took me a very long time to realize it was satire. Yes. I so, did not pick up on that right away. I think it was uh, years. Yeah, I think later. I got to the point where they were like the very end when they're shoving things into the brain bugs orifices. When I was like, "What is this?" and I think like afterwards, my dad was like, "That's that's satire." Yeah. I'm curious to think to hear what your dad thinks of the movie compared to the book, since he I'm assuming he read the book like oh many when many it first years came ago. Out and then yeah, like well, seeing the movie. no, not when it first came out in 1960. He was he five was years wee. old. He could have done it. <sighs> your dad's super smart. Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, Meh. I feel like he wasn't getting a lot of Heinlein novels like put in front of him. 
when he was in preschool. Uh, maybe. Um, yeah, my so my dad took me to see this movie. I was in high school. He took me to see the movie and made me promise that I would read the book. I remember that. It took me a few years to get to it, but Again, I have. You're welcome, Tim. You're welcome, Tim. <laughs> so, yeah, I don't know. I mean, he's a he's a big sci-fi fan. He's a big Heinlein fan. I don't know that my dad's a big corporal punishment fan, but clearly something about Starship Troopers spoke to him. Yeah. At least a little. Yeah, because my, my stepfather's also a big Heinlein fan and has read all of his work. I'm pretty sure he's seen the movie as well. Um, and so he actually, when I told him we were doing this, he kind of, he laughed a little because he's like, he he knows like the the book is very right wing, military. Yeah, 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 military. Yeah. Um, and he was in the navy when he was younger. Oh really? But, yeah. I didn't know that. Yep. Um, but he also like is not as fully into it as Robert Heinlein was at this period in his writing career. Yeah. Um, and but he also enjoyed the movie for what it was. And so I, I'm just, I'm so curious to hear what other people have to say, those who have read the book and liked it. And how also, did you react? How to did you movie? react to the movie? I'll have to ask him. Yeah. It's I, just, it's because it's, it's so different. It's like the it's complete so opposite, different. complete opposite of what Heinlein was writing for. Mm-hmm. And I mean, there's reasons for that. One, because the script technically wasn't based on the book. <laughs> and two, Sounds it's because better. the director grew up during that time in europe and was living with these kinds of fascist governments and, and he lived he's like no this is bad you should not <laughs> this is want not this. a utopia this is not a utopia and so i'm just super curious to think to hear what other people have to say about that well hey listeners did you enjoy the book and the movie right. do you prefer one or the other are you a right-wing fascist We'd love to hear what you think. And can you tell us why you think fascism is a utopian ideal? Because Yeah, I mean if I'm you not if really you if you're sure. pro fascist, like give us a clue why. We're Yeah, cuz we're curious. We're, I I'm like I'm always interested in hearing another point of view because from what I've seen and heard so far, fascism is bad. Uh, yeah. You know that's a really good point. Fascism yeah. generally so bad. far, it's been bad. Yeah. So far, been bad. Hasn't worked out well. No. 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 So you know. But so that's that's our official stance. This exactly. is bad. But we exactly. want to hear what you think. Exactly. Are you ready for some fun and games? Let's play. <laughs> uh, all right. So what's first? Um, shall we start with heartthrobs and hairdos? Heck yeah. Um, do you have some top three hotties you want to lay on me? So I don't have three. That's fine. Um, I have one. Okay. And it's Clancy Brown. <laughs> nice. And yeah, this this uh I'm this... surprised you don't have Casper Van Dien. He, he was your Sleepy Hollow. He was hotter in Sleepy Hollow. Yeah, that's true. This was um this was a very haughty light film for me. Okay. What okay. about you? Who are your hotties? Um so I actually did manage to eke out three. Okay. Uh I did select Casper Van Dien because he's just so dumb. <laughs> you have to give him one. You have to. Yeah, some some pity makeouts for it, Casper it, it really Okay. Is. Um, Clancy Brown, obviously, because I love him so much. <laughs> and then Lassiter, even with his third eye. Oh my god. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. That and that was a very brief cameo from Young Lassiter. It was, too. but we both at the same Recognized time him. yelled out Lassiter. Yes. And for those who aren't. Uh, versed in in our you know kind of shorthand <laughs> carlton lassiter is a character in our fa- one of our favorite shows psych i all right one I of hate my to quibble, favorite, shows. Your favorite shows i enjoy psych. it i don't know that it's my favorite no, i love it but it's no longer on the air but he is a character there he's played by uh timothy omenson who was also in gallivant which i think everyone should and watch. he was excellent in gallivant he was he is a very entertaining performer he is and i i adore him i think and he's fabulous he's ridiculously young and on screen for like five seconds yes and you're just like who blink oh. if you miss blink and you miss him yeah but it was great um so top three styles and or outfits hair dyes i have nothing <laughs> i have nothing nice I, the terrible 90s prom styles, yep. the unflattering military uniforms, yep. the bad hair. I, I couldn't. Yeah. I couldn't. No. I got nothing. Mine are clearly in jest. 
<laughs> Yours are, are all ironic. And, yes. <laughs> uh, so clearly the pilot uniforms with those nice uh, shoulder pads. Oh, yeah. And then Dizzy's dress at the dance. Ooh, ooh. Yeah, yeah. exactly. I do not recommend anybody no. wear any of this stuff. No, it was it was not good. Nope. It was not good. It was terrible. <sighs> yeah, mm-hmm. and um, and those SS uniforms were not doing Carl any favors. No, oh it no. And PH man, Hoo-wee. he was, he was creepy AF. He he aged into himself. He did. It just took a little time. Yeah, it took a while. <laughs> Hello, Rupert. Rupert is a big Neil Patrick Harris fan. I can tell. Um, quizzes and questions. Yes, let's. Um. So we kind of touched on this, but I don't know that we addressed this, but um, was the novel what you expected it since you had actually seen the movie first? You know, I, I knew that the novel and the movie were very different. I knew that the movie was more of a satire and the novel was not. Um, Rupert, stop. Rupert's a fascist. Yes. Cats are fascists, they actually. Are. Ugh. Um, I was still a little taken aback by some of the philosophy sections yeah they were they were not quite what i was expecting yeah yeah same it was like it was i didn't it it went further than i expected it to yeah like i i pages and pages and pages yeah it's like he's really he's not shy about the message he's trying to deliver he has opinions he does and i was just like Oh, I didn't realize these were your opinion. Oh, yeah. I've read you a lot of other changed. Highline books, and yeah. I didn't... Well, I've read books he wrote before this. I've read books he wrote after this. Yeah. Appar- according to Wikipedia, he had started working on the book that would become Stranger in a Strange Land. Set and it that aside. That was supposed to be the satire. Set it aside to read this, to write this, and then went back to it. And Stranger in a Strange Land's very different. Yes. Very different philosophy. Very different worldview. Yeah. So I'm like, I'm like, where did this come from? Yeah. And like, none of this was in any of the other books that I no. that I read. So, yeah. 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 So that was surprising. Yeah. All right. Um. Second question: Do you think the movie deserved all the negative reviews it received when it first when <laughs> it was first released? I am willing to bet a lot of critics didn't know what to make of it. It's true. From what I, I, think... I read, they didn't actually. A lot of them actually did miss the message. If you if you evaluate the movie on the scale of what the creators were trying to accomplish mm-hmm. i think it actually was fairly successful if you were to compare it to other sci-fi action movies mm-hmm. you might be like what am i watching <laughs> but it's not star wars it's going for something very different and as yes. a, it's perhaps a little too successful as a satire because it doesn't always right read that it's a satire exactly and i think that was one of the like i was talking with your husband earlier when we first watched it and i was like you know i was one of the people when i first watched it where i was like i had no idea it was meant to be a satire until like later on years later when i read that's what it was supposed to be and i was like oh that makes oh, so much more sense i get it now maybe every time i watch a bad movie i should just assume it's satire i think that's a good idea it'll be safer yeah like, oh well he's kidding exactly he doesn't mean it he wants us to think the opposite of that girl the dragon tattoo is satire pure satire Yes. All right, now the word satire has lost all meaning for me. <laughs> all right, and then third and final question. Do you think I should ask Denise Richards to teach me how to flirt? Uh, you know, on the one hand, Denise Richards does have two cute boys fighting over her. But on the other hand, one of them gets his brain sucked out. And the other one is career military, so... I'm not sure I like her way of getting men. <laughs> I can't even remember. I don't think I wrote it down, but there's some scene in there where she's talking to Patrick Muldoon or Catherine Van Dien, and I was just like, is that your technique? Are you are you trying to flirt right now? I think her technique is mostly being a D-cup, though. Yeah. Yeah. I, think I that's don't about think it. I wrote it down. But, oh my god, I just read this note. Rico smirk every time he is promoted. Oof. <laughs> Oof. Oh, and I did forget to mention in the um, from the movie that he Rico actually kills Lieutenant Ratchick at the lieutenant's request. 
Yeah, which is not, that's which is, definitely not in the book. No, and that's not something that, like. Yeah, the whole the, thing of, like, I, ex- I expect any anyone in this outfit to do the same. Yeah, in the book, you rescue any, you rescue everyone. Everyone yeah. comes back. Right. Like, they, there's a whole scene at the very beginning where they bring, like, they bring someone back. It's Dizzy Flores. It's yeah. a male Dizzy Flores. Yeah, they bring him back, but he ends up dying anyways, and, like, they almost, they lose members of their squad trying yeah, to rescue this they, guy because you do not leave men behind yeah. and so i was just I, was, I thought that was interesting um what are your questions um so i have two there are so many great stupid gory hilarious deaths in this movie <laughs> can you pick your favorite patrick muldoon's is it really yeah okay <laughs> i mean it's a toss-up between that one and the reporter at the beginning I'm a big fan of the ship's captain. Yeah. How she, like, awkwardly flails, <laughs> falls down, and then the um, the door, like, squishes her. Yeah. <laughs> oh, and, and it's just so, yeah. it's, a, it's an ignoble yep. end to the um, captain. And for you Desperate Housewives fans, she is the, um, the, the, the narrator, the woman who ends up killing herself and uh, kicks off the whole show. That is the captain who yep. dies poorly. So she has... Something to look forward to in her career, then. She does. Very nice. <laughs> well, maybe then that's going to uh, taint your answer to this one. Okay. So you have to choose which moment is grosser. Patrick Muldoon getting his brain drained, the brain bug getting things jammed up its orifices, or Doogie Hauser playing with his, quote, ferret. Oh, God. I think it's a toss-up between Doogie Hauser playing with his ferret and the brain bug getting stuff shoved <laughs> up his orifices. <laughs> so gross. <laughs> <laughs> it's a really disturbing scene. It's funny. Like, it's, you know, been over a decade, almost two decades since I saw this movie. Mm-hmm. And, like, I'd forgotten a lot. I had forgotten everything. But real. the things that stuck out that I remembered was Patrick Muldoon's brain yep. getting sucked out yep. and the brain bug getting things jammed inside Ugh. disgusting face orifices. I Those love... moments are still were still very fresh in my mind I 19 love, like, years later. And the, like, the propaganda reels, like the censored moments where they would just write the word censored over it. But it's but clearly you still something knew what was really on. disgusting happening. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. like you knew exactly what they were doing back then. You're like, that doesn't help. That was actually pretty pretty great actually yeah, like the 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 propaganda bits in the movie were actually very well done yeah i would agree yeah is that all your questions those are my questions is it time for some fake awards it's time for some fake awards yeah! yes yeah. who does the jeff goldblum award go to sam well for me it went to michael ironside oh okay yeah because he was always michael ironside <laughs> Sorry, but no. <laughs> uh, my Jeff Goldblum award uh, goes to Clancy Brown. Nice, because I couldn't stop thinking that he was Clancy Brown. <laughs> oh my! I was like going over his um, IMDb page again, and he has two hundred and forty-six. It's impressive. He's in everything, he's, and he does he does so much voice work, and and he like I think his first role though was like mid eighties. Yep. So he's okay. been very busy in the last For 30 years. A very long time. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he does a ton of voice work. He does a ton of... He's Mr. Krabs from Spongebob, Out Loud. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that is that is fantastic. That is a very specific thing. Wow. Yeah. What are, what your, are your other awards? <laughs> All right, well, um, so... The Creepy AF Award goes to Carl. Oh, I'm shocked. Shocked, I tell you. It's always Carl, and especially in his not-so-subtle SS uniform. Yeah. Yep. And then the Uh. Best Bug Award is a tie between the fart-slash-poop-bomb bugs (laughs) and the brain bug with a butt for a face, because (laughs) I am a child. Yes, you are. (laughs) It's part of what we love about you. Aw, thanks. Um, I have a few more awards. The He's Just Net That Into You Award goes to Dizzy Flores. <laughs> like, girl, seriously. Oh, back off. Girl, you, uh, okay. you can do better. You're so much better. Oh, my God. Yikes. And just look around that co-ed shower. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of Pick cute naked butts. Pick any other one other than Jake Busey. Mm-hmm. Yeah, his teeth. Oh, his Jake Busey-ness. <laughs> and the Stupidest Haircut Award goes to Patrick Muldoon. <laughs> that haircut was bad. It was so bad. Do you think it was a wig, or do you think someone actually did that to no, him? No, someone did that to oh, him. 
Yeah. Man. Yep. Yeah. It's terrible. Ooh. Oh, so is that is that all your awards? Those are the awards I have for all this right. Hugo Award winning <laughs> novel and zero award winning film. Oh man. I actually don't know that's true. I mean I don't remember seeing that it won any awards. I don't think it won any awards that anyone's I bragging about. I don't think it actually won a Razzie. I think his I think the Verhoeven's Razzies were for other movies. I <clears throat> when did the Razzies start? This might have been pre Razzie. I don't know actually. Uh, and I don't care enough to Google it. Yeah, but no, I'm pretty sure I read that he actually showed up in person to accept his Razzie and I was like, Good for you, dude. I respect that. Good for you. I like it. Right. So take him too seriously. Yep. Uh, so next episode is a hymn to the Christmas spirit. Join us as we journey along with Ebenezer Scrooge and learn the true meaning of Christmas Aww. and Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol. We will be joined by a very special guest as we discuss what he views as the only true adaptation, the 1951 version starring Alastair Sim. And no, we won't really be talking about the cartoon update that they released in 1971, which is basically a frame-by-frame recreation of the 1951 version. But with less music. Less music, yeah. Mm -hmm. And that will actually be the last episode of our first season. Uh, We're going to take a little time off after the Christmas episode to celebrate, regroup. Some of us will give birth. Not me. Yeah, no, I... Not it. (laughs) Damn it! It's me again. Um, So we'll be taking a little time off before we relaunch with season two in April. And we've been hard at work planning what to read and what to watch in 2019, and we're so excited to share them all with you. We've got everything from science fiction to classic romance, political thrillers, and children's fiction. And we'll also have more exciting special guests. And probably more Rupert, whether we want him or not, including more Claus. Yeah, Yeah. Rupert's going to be here. Yep. Can't get rid of him. Hopefully that's one of the things you like. Yeah. Um. If you like our show, then help us spread the word. Rate and review on iTunes. Tell your friends, coworkers, distant relatives how great Adapted with Anna and Sam is. Uh, we want to hear from you. It doesn't have to be about fascism. It can be about anything. Yeah. Send your questions, your comments, your Christmas greetings, and your six degrees to adaptedwithannaandsam at gmail.com. Uh, and naming rights to Anna's child, if you can explain... Why fascism is good. Don't give that a... Don't do that. I'm sorry, but nobody can explain why fascism is good, so you're fine. To my satisfaction. Let's please spell that out. (laughs) To my satisfaction. If you can convince me... Right. Then you can name my child. There you go. You can also post all of this stuff on Facebook. You can find us at Adapted with Anna and Sam. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Adapted Podcast. Let's keep the conversation going. (laughs) Thanks for listening to Adapted with Anna and Sam. I'm Anna, and I wish Golden Child was based on a book. (laughs) Shocker. I'm Sam, and I wish The Adventures of Buckaroo Banzai Across the Eighth Dimension (laughs) was based on a book. Bye. Bye!